The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Well, happy Easter once again. My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at Missio Day, and uh, really grateful that you are with us, that you're here to celebrate with us the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, that is what Easter is all about, after all. You could go up and down Haywood Road, and you could ask people what Easter is about, and you're going to hear about solstices and Easter eggs and bunnies and all that kind of thing. But we know that Easter is all about the resurrection of Jesus. There's been no more polarizing figure in all of human history than Jesus the Christ. More ink has been spilled, more books have been written about Jesus than anyone in human history, more artwork created in reverence to Jesus, more songs sung to Jesus than anyone else ever. Our calendar is even divided in some sense between before Christ and after, and and yet we have to ask the question, how could one person, how could one man have such an impact and an influence on human history? And the answer has to be the resurrection. The resurrection. That's what this whole thing is about. It's what this whole thing hinges on. And as Ryan mentioned, uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then we are wasting our time. We are the most, believers in the resurrection are the most to be pitied because we have nothing to cling to. And here's the reality. Christianity is not ultimately about the moral teachings of Jesus, though he has great moral teachings. Christians are not those who put their hope and trust in his moral teachings. Uh, Christians are not people who put their hope and trust in the example that Jesus set for us, though he set an amazing example for us. Christians are people who put their hope and trust in the fact that Jesus died and was raised, and we have forgiveness in his name. So if he has not been risen, all of us should just go home right now, pack it in, and be done, because we are wasting our time. But listen, if you have doubts about the resurrection, you're in good company, because even some of Jesus' disciples struggled to believe that he could be raised from the dead. So no matter where you find yourself this morning, my my genuine hope and plea with you is that you would leave this place with a greater trust and confidence in the risen Christ. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, you can join me in John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, there are some paperback Bibles under the seats there, uh, or it will be on the screen as well. But we're going to look at what is, for many, a familiar passage in John 20, uh, but maybe not to all of us. So we're going to pick it up in verse 19 of John chapter 20. And I realize we're coming in at the end of a gospel account and also coming in at the end uh, of this chapter. And so I'll catch you up in a minute. But just for the sake of time, let me read the passage. Now here at Missio Day, when I read the text, I will say when I'm done reading the text, this is the word of God or the word of the Lord, and then you can reply, thanks be to God. And so we'll do that in just a minute. Starting in John chapter 20, verse 19, the Bible says this. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, that's a Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when Jesus had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. 
Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather as a people this morning. I thank you for all of the men and women in this room, um, all of the children in this room, those who are here because Jesus is alive, and we are here to worship you. We are here to hear from you, and I pray that you would speak to us this morning. But Lord, I, I am not naive enough to think that every single person in this room is already a follower of Jesus, and so I pray that you would do, Holy Spirit, what only you can do as we gather in your name under the authority of your word. And Holy Spirit, that is that you would make hearts new, that you would bring people from death to life, that you would encourage the saints, that you would save sinners, and that we would leave here rejoicing that Jesus is alive and our hope is in him. And so help us, Lord, as we look at this passage of scripture, help me to rightly divide it that your people may be blessed. And we pray for your blessing in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. All right. If you're a note taker, I'll give you the point quickly, and then we'll, we'll kind of summarize what, where we're at. Uh, the first thing you can write down here is encountering Christ. This is what we see from the early disciples here. So as I said, we're coming in at the end of the gospel. And so here, here's what John 1 will tell us. Jesus is God in the flesh. That's what John 1 says. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he took on flesh and blood, and he moved into the neighborhood, as one paraphrase of the Bible says. He's fully God, fully man, and he came to the earth to save sinners. Sin being our rejection of God's gracious authority in our lives and our desire to be an authority unto ourselves. We see this as early as the book of Genesis, where our first parents who were created in the image of God, in the likeness of God, who were meant to represent God on the earth, to reflect something of the glory of God on the earth, rejected his authority and chose to be God for themselves. And in so doing, the curse came, and with the curse came death and separation from God. And from that moment forward, every single one of us has been born a sinner and is a sinner by choice and by nature. It doesn't take long to observe humanity to understand that we are broken people. The question is, what is wrong with us? And the answer is sin. But even in that moment in the garden... God promised to send a savior, to send one to reverse the effects of the curse, to restore humanity to their humble and dignified state, and to repair all the brokenness that is in the world. And it came through Jesus. Now Jesus comes, and he heals the sick, 
and he casts out demons, and he cleanses lepers, and he raises the dead, and he commands nature, and he feeds thousands with a little boy's lunchable, and he preaches with an authority like they have never seen before, and he is tempted to sin in every way that you and I are tempted, and yet he never gives in. He never rejects or rebels against the authority of God. And Jesus kept telling his disciples over and over and over again, I am going to have to die. I'm going to die in the place of sinners, but I'm going to rise again. And you know what happened? The disciples didn't get it. And so Friday comes and Jesus is falsely accused. And he's wrongly convicted. And he's brutally executed and murdered. And his disciples are a complete mess. Fast forward to Sunday, Mary, Mary Magdalene, she goes to the tomb. Why is she going to the tomb? She wants to anoint his body for burial, which tells us what? She expected a dead body. She expected the body of Jesus to be at the tomb. She was going to ask the guards to roll the stone away so that she could go in and finish the burial process. If you have a hard time with the resurrection, you're in good company. Because the disciples, not a single one of them expected it. In fact, you, you realize none of the disciples, even though Jesus said over and over again, Jesus is going to, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. None of the disciples on that first Easter morning went, you know, it is the third day. We should at least go check. None of them expected a resurrection. And so Mary gets there, the stone is already moved. And before she goes in, she runs back and she gets Peter and John. Peter being the leader of the early disciples. John uh, being a close friend of Jesus's. In fact, John tells us he's the one whom Jesus loved. Of course, it's John's gospel. He writes that Jesus loved me more than all the rest of you. But nevertheless, they get there and there's the grave clothes on a pile. And there's the face cloth, which would have been put over Jesus's face at his burial, folded up neatly and set aside. And there's nobody there. It starts to dawn on them. Maybe what Jesus said was true. Now, uh, Peter and John go home sort of dumbfounded. Mary stays at the tomb. She actually bumps into Jesus. She sees the resurrected Christ, and Jesus tells her, hey, go back and tell the disciples that you've seen me. And so Mary hightails it home. She says to the disciples, hey, I have seen the Lord. And you know what they did? They didn't believe her. <laughs> so now it's that night, Sunday night, the text tells us that we've just read, most of the disciples are huddled up in this locked room. Why are they huddled up in a locked room? Because they're afraid. The tomb is empty. There's no body. The Jews and the Romans who were responsible for the execution of Jesus are going to be a little hot about it. What do we do? And so they're huddled up in this room together, afraid and into the midst of their fear and into the midst of their doubt and into the midst of their confusion and into the midst of their uncertainty, Jesus appears with a proclamation of peace. Peace be with you. The same peace that he had promised in John chapter 14. Just a few chapters earlier, John said, or excuse me, Jesus said, hey, I am going to go away. I'm going to have to die. I'm going to rise again. But listen, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you, and when all this stuff happens, I'm telling you now, so that when all that stuff happens, you will not be surprised, but you'll, it'll be a confirmation. He basically told them ahead of time what was going to happen. It all happens. They don't believe it. And then when he speaks to them, peace be to you, 
connections had to be made. Wait a minute, he said this to us. It's true. So listen, when you and I receive with empty hands the finished work of Jesus on the cross for us, his life for us, tempted in every way that we are, but without sin, his death as a substitute for our sin, his burial, his resurrection from the dead, conquering death and hell for us. When we receive with empty hands what Jesus has claimed for us, we receive his peace. Colossians 1 says that it is the blood of Christ which makes peace between God and man. We receive peace with God because of what Christ has done for us. Paul later goes on in Philippians 4 to say that we have a, an internal peace, a peace that transcends all human comprehension. Because the Spirit of God dwells in us and allows us to have peace no matter what the circumstance of our lives. So here's my question. Are you at peace this morning? Are you, do you know that you are at peace with God? You know, the reality is we all know we can't even measure up to our own expectations of ourselves. Our own stand, we fail ourselves and our own standard of righteousness, our own standard, much less the standards of a Righteous and holy God, do you know you are at peace with God today? Do you, do you know, do you, have you experienced the peace that transcends all understanding that is granted to you in Christ? It can be yours today. Or do you have that nagging sense that you are not enough, that you don't measure up? The constant work to cover the shame that so easily and naturally comes to us. These disciples experienced, encountered Christ and the peace that he offered. But more than that, or in addition to that, look at verse 24 again. It wasn't all the disciples. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, probably because, you know, he was a twin. I don't think you get that name ironically. <laughs> He's an only child. We call him the twin. He was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And actually in the language, it, 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 it's emphatic. Like they keep saying over and over again, we've seen him, we've seen him, we've seen him. But Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So I'm calling this point, if you want to jot it down, enduring doubt. Now look, we don't know where Thomas was, um, but he wasn't with them. Remember, there were 12 disciples. One of them, Judas, uh, hanged himself, and so now there's 11. And the 10 were assembled in that room, but John, Pete, uh, excuse me, Thomas was not with them. We don't know where he was, but in my reading of the scripture, I get a sense that Thomas is the kind of guy who needs some alone time. He needs to sort of process things by himself. And so all he knows is that the tomb is empty and he knows that the body of Jesus is nowhere to be found and, and he's trying to make sense of it. Um, maybe this will help. This meme came to my mind. This is Thomas after hearing the tomb is empty, right? He's just that kind of guy, right? I just need a moment. And so, you're welcome. I made that. So, uh, <laughs> So Thomas is out circling the block, you know, thinking, trying to process, do all this stuff. And he returns to the room where the disciples were, knocks on the door, of course, because it's locked. And so he's, and then all the disciples are like, Thomas, you just missed him. Jesus was here. 
We saw him. We have seen the Lord. The same thing Mary said. I have seen the Lord. They say, we have seen the Lord. Now, these are Thomas's closest friends. He's been with them for three years. Some of them he probably grew up with. They have been in lockstep day after day after day for three years. He knows them like the back of his hand, and yet he will not take their word for it. He says, unless I put my finger in the marks, which, let's be honest, is weird, okay? And this is where he gets the, the term, the moniker, Doubting Thomas. Okay, even if you're unfamiliar with Christianity, you've probably heard the term Doubting Thomas, which is kind of a bummer of a nickname, especially if you know the rest of his story, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But here's, here's what's even more interesting. This is not doubt. There's another word in the Bible that's used for doubt. In Matthew chapter 28, for, for instance, uh, the disciples meet on a hillside. They see the resurrected Jesus. And the text says in Matthew 28 that some, when they saw the resurrected Christ, some believed, but some doubted. This is a different word than what's used here. This is actually, in the original language, a double, an emphatic double negative. In other words, Thomas is saying, unless I see it for myself, I will never, no, not ever believe. That sounds different than doubt, doesn't it? Unless I see it for myself. Are any of you like that? I won't take anyone else's word for it, but I need to see it and touch it and smell it for myself. Um, a couple years ago, uh, I, was, I was reading an article about a, a flat earth guy. Um, his name is Mike Hughes. We can show this picture. So, so Mike Hughes felt like, he, his, he, his belief is that the earth is more of a pancake than a sphere. And so in order to, and he's not going to take anybody's word for it, so he built himself a rocket like one does. Uh, powered by steam, as one does. And his goal was to get a mile above the earth so that he could see for himself that the earth was round and not flat. And so, next picture, uh, he got it off the ground. Look at that. Uh, he made it 1,700, 1,800 feet into the air and crashed. And then he did it again and crashed. Uh, and then he did it again and he died. Uh, uh, sad, you know, February 2020, he died. And um, I, w I mean, but he missed all of COVID, which is crazy, right? Like, I mean, if he had a problem with a round earth, he would have had a field day with COVID, but he, um, <laughs> but here's the thing. We kind of laugh at a guy, right? For, for not believing what we just take as normal, right? The earth is round. None of you have ever seen the round earth, but you believe it, right? This brother didn't believe it. He's got to see it for himself. And he's honest about what he doesn't believe. He's honest about his doubt. And so we might laugh at him, but he built a rocket like you've never done that. And, he, and he's trying to say, I, I need to see it and touch it for myself. I need to experience it for, for myself. And sadly, I mean, I hope he didn't get up there and go, oh, it is round, right? And then crash. But nevertheless, Thomas does not say, I will not believe. He says, I will not believe unless. What would it take for you to believe? What would it take for you to believe that Jesus is in fact raised from the dead? What would it take for you to believe that God is actually with you? 
What would it take for you to believe that you are not defined by the thing in your life that you are the most ashamed of? Thomas is a little on edge, and you have to wonder, why is he so on edge? I will, unless I see it, unless I touch it, I will never believe, okay? Let's put ourselves in Thomas's shoes for a minute. He's one of the 12 disciples who has just witnessed the man he put all his trust in brutally murdered. Not only that, but as one of his best friends who betrayed Jesus and turned him into the authorities and then committed suicide. Not only that, but it's another one of his best friends who was the leader of this group of disciples who denied even knowing Jesus in order to save his own skin. Not only that, all of his other friends ran away and fled, deserting Jesus. Not only that, but the very people who all the early disciples were Jews, which means they were brought up in the Jewish tradition, which means the very people that taught Thomas about God and his love and the promise of a Messiah are the ones responsible for the death of Jesus. And not only that, but all of the people who were in any, had any power to stop the brutal execution of Jesus said nothing and did nothing about it. What do you do with that kind of disillusionment? When we see on the news the way that humans treat one another, wars, robberies, brutal crimes, when we see how people inside the church who are supposed to be different because we claim the name of Jesus and yet the way that we treat each other, when we see the way that church leaders sometimes treat other people. It's easy to become disillusioned and think, what is this all about? These people should be different. What is going on here? And to, and to start becoming embittered and disillusioned with the entire thing. And I just want you to know that if you feel disillusioned, you have a friend in Thomas. There comes a time when the faith that we have inherited cannot quite get us through all the complex challenges of life. And so Thomas says here, I don't just need evidence, I need an experience. Unless I touch, unless I see for myself, I will not believe. And the same thing's true for us, right? We don't just need evidence, we need an experience. If you want evidence, you can have evidence all day long. Um, the overwhelming majority of secular historians will validate the historicity of Jesus. That a man named Jesus lived at the time uh, of the governance of Pontius Pilate, that, he, um, that his birth was ambiguous, that he was a teacher and known as a healer and miracle worker. Like all that is historically documented, that he was executed by Roman crucifixion, that following his death, uh, his followers actually were more emboldened and started a movement that is still going strong today all over the world. Like, all that's historic. So if you are doubting the history seat of Jesus, you're just not paying attention or are disingenuous. But we all know we need more than evidence. We need an experience. Knowing about Jesus does not change us but knowing Jesus absolutely transforms us. 
Because Jesus is not a historic artifact to examine. He is a person to encounter and to experience. So if you find yourself in a place of doubt or disbelief or disillusionment, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Bring all of your doubt and your disbelief and your disillusionment before Jesus and say, will you meet me here? And I, I believe he will. He will meet you in that dark place, in that disillusioned, disbelieving, doubting place. So Thomas endures this doubt, but, but now it gets more interesting to me. So look at verse 26. You guys with me so far? All right, look at verse 26. Let me take a sip of water really quickly. Eight days later, so the Jews counted any part of a day as a day. So this is probably the next Sunday, the next a week from the first Sunday. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Let's stop there for a second. Now, this is, this is significant to me because the other 10 disciples have seen and experienced the presence of Jesus. Thomas has not. And he has expressed his doubt and his disbelief about the resurrection of Jesus. And yet a week later, where is Thomas? He's with them. He's with the disciples. In other words, he's saying, I will not believe it until I see it. Church again next Sunday? <laughs> until I put my fingers in his wounds, I will not believe. Y'all getting together a small group? <laughs> see, he doesn't just out of hand dismiss it, deny it, and walk away. He says, I don't believe this stuff, but listen, if what it takes is being here, to, to try to encounter him, I'm in. So I think, I think Jesus is doing something in Thomas's heart here. Because you realize it would have been easy for Jesus to wait 15 minutes until Thomas's smoke break was up to show back up. Right? Like, Jesus did not show up in that upper room and start counting disciples and was like, 10, where is, oh, are you kidding me? I missed him, right? He did, it's not like he made a mistake he, he on purpose didn't show up at that time because he's singling Thomas out. There's something he's doing in Thomas's heart. I wonder if anyone feels like Jesus is singling you out today. That you, you aren't sure what you believe, but you got here, you, you got up, you came with people, maybe begrudgingly, maybe because they promised you lunch afterwards. <laughs> But you're here, and now you're, you're feeling this thing in your gut, and you're going, what is this? I've never felt this before. And maybe, just maybe, it's the Holy Spirit drawing you to faith today. See, I love, I love Thomas's posture. His posture is like the tomb. He's open. 
He may have skepticism, but he doesn't totally dismiss it out of hand. He may have a wrestling with the things of God, but he puts himself in spaces to be able to encounter the presence of God. He says, I'm here because Thomas is ultimately seeking truth. He wants to know what's true. And if these friends of his are claiming that Jesus has risen, even though he doesn't quite believe them for himself, for himself, he's going to be with them. He's going to lean into that until he can experience it for himself. I just want you to know, friends, that doubt is a normal part of the journey of faith. I don't think there's anyone who has walked with Jesus for a significant amount of time who wouldn't say there have been times of uncertainty, times of doubt, times of maybe even outright disbelief about certain things. And yet, for those, and it, and it happens generally when we face a circumstance or a situation that we didn't see coming, that kind of rocks us a little bit, and we start asking all these questions, right? We feel like maybe God is distant, or he's abandoned us, or maybe he isn't really real. And so we start, and the, here's the problem. When we pull away from community, and we start wrestling with those questions just by ourselves, we start drifting. When we press into community, when we lean in and wrestle with people, he meets us there. So look at the grace of Jesus here. Thomas has already expressed his disbelief, his doubt, and yet he's with them. And then, eight days later, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you, just like he did before. Now look, he didn't need to do that for the other 10. Who's he doing this for? Thomas, specifically. The grace of, okay, Thomas, you have a question? Thomas, you have a wrestle? He knows Thomas' heart is genuine. He's really seeking to know what's true, and he honors that request, and he shows up just for Thomas. Put your fingers here. Put your hand in my side. Come on. There's an invitation. Look, he doesn't, he doesn't show up with rebuke. Jesus doesn't show up and go, Thomas, really? After three years together, after all you've seen, remember, Thomas was a witness to the resurrection of Lazarus. Thomas was a witness to the feeding of the 5,000. Thomas was a witness to the healing of untold people. And it's not like Jesus showed up and said, Thomas, you, after everything you've seen, after everything I've said to you, you need to put your fingers in the holes and blah, blah, blah. like he doesn't mock, he doesn't shame. He simply invites Thomas. If this is what you need, put your fingers in, put your hand. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And he speaks peace to him. Peace to you. So I've had people say to me before, um, you know, if Jesus would just show up to me like he did to these people, then I would believe. And, and I always say, maybe, but maybe not. Because back to Matthew 28, the resurrected Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. And some disciples believe, and some doubt. Imagine that. You're watching Jesus ascend into heaven, and you're like, I don't know. So, so, so what's your posture? Are you leaning in with a, a desire to know truth, or are you in your heart and mind saying, God owes me. 
if, I, if he wants me to believe, he's going to have to prove himself to me. He's got to show me something special. Because I'm telling you, he doesn't need to do that. He does, a, he's God, not you. And B, he has already proven himself to us by sending Jesus to the cross. Romans 5, 8 says, This is how God has shown his love to us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That Jesus took all of our ignorance and he took all of our unbelief and he took all of our foolishness and all of our arrogance and all of our stupidity on himself and he died in our place for our sins. And God shows us, he proves to us that he loves us by sending his only son to live a life you never could, die the death you deserve and to rise again from the grave. So Thomas, the text never says that Thomas was like, okay, I'll put my hands in. He sees Jesus he sees the offer, and he proclaims, my Lord and my God. That's what it means to be a Christian, friends. My Lord. My commander. My authority. I submit myself to him. He's my Lord. He's my God. He is the God, the only God, but he's my God. It's intimate. It's, it's personal. It's possessive. He belongs to me and I belong to him. That's what it means to be a Christian, to surrender myself to the lordship of Jesus, to welcome him to be my authority and my savior. And one of the greatest declarations of the identity of Christ that we find in the entire Bible, my Lord and my God. What, what do you take from the fact that this greatest expression of faith came from the disciple who had the greatest doubt and disbelief. Now, history tells us that Thomas's faith was solidified, that he became a missionary to India, and that he uh, proclaimed the gospel in India until he was martyred, that he was run through with a spear and he died as a martyr. In fact, every one of the disciples, except for John, who wrote this gospel, died as a martyr. John died, likely, um, on the island of Patmos, um, as a prisoner, but all of these disciples who saw the resurrected Christ died for faith, for their confidence, their, their belief that Jesus is, in fact, raised from the dead. But there's a little turn here. I don't know if you noticed it. Look at verse 29. We'll wrap up with this. Jesus said to him, to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Like, is that all it took? <laughs> Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe in that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, Jesus and John are addressing you and me. Thomas, you believe because you've seen? Blessed are those who will believe without ever having seen me. See, in some sense, we're all here, all of us, every single one of us is here today because of the testimony of those 11 who saw the resurrected Christ, who gave their lives proclaiming the resurrected Christ, and the people they proclaimed it to believed it, who proclaimed it to other people who believed it, who proclaimed it to other people who believed it, who have proclaimed it to us. And whether you're here because you were drugged here, or because you wanted to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, we are here because of the testimony of these 11 
disciples, and then, of course, add Matthias in, and there's 12. But it's almost like Jesus is saying, believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. And so I need you to see Jesus betrayed. Holy, innocent, blameless Jesus betrayed by a friend for 30 bucks. I need you to see Jesus arrested for crimes he did not commit. I need you to see Jesus on trial and wrongly convicted. Maybe, maybe you even close your eyes here so that you can imagine with me. I need you to see Jesus mocked and spit upon and beaten and the beard pulled from his face. I need you to see the crown of thorns twisted together and shoved into the skull of Jesus, mocking him as the king of the Jews. I need you to see the nails hammered through his wrists and his feet onto those crossbeams as they mocked him and said, if you're the savior, save yourself. I need you to see that cross lifted up and Jesus' full body weight hanging from those nails. I need you to see Jesus wounded, naked, struggling for breath from the cross saying, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Hear him cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Finally, hear him cry, it is finished, and watch him give up his final breath. I need you to see Jesus wrapped in linen and laid in that tomb, and the stone rolled in front of it. The hope of the disciples dying with him. But I also need you to see Mary coming to the tomb and the stone rolled away and the tomb empty. I need you to see the disciples gathered together in that room, fearing for their lives. And I need you to see Jesus appear to them and say, peace be to you. I need you to hear Jesus say to you, peace be to you. You realize, friends, the stone was rolled away not so Jesus could get out. We've already seen him twice now go through locked doors. He didn't need the stone rolled away so he could get out. He needed the stone rolled away so you could get in. So you could see for yourself that it is empty, that he is not here, but he has risen. John says, this gospel was written so that you might believe and have life in his name. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you this morning to believe on the name of Jesus. Romans 10 says, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe that he was raised from the dead, we can be saved. That's for all of us. My deepest desire is that you would know Jesus you would love Jesus, that you would have confidence in the fact that Jesus has risen from the grave, and if the tomb is empty, anything is possible. 
So would you pray with me as we close up? Father God, I, I thank you for these men and women. I thank you for the joy of Resurrection Sunday and the chance to proclaim that Christ is indeed risen from the grave. And I pray that in these moments, as we sit here in silence, as we reflect on what we have just heard and the testimony of Mary and of these disciples and even the testimony of Thomas, who said, I will never believe. <laughs> never say never. Could what these people have said is true actually be true? testimony of 2,000 years of church history confirms it is indeed true. And so, Lord, maybe there are some in this room this morning who are feeling that conviction, feeling that turning in their stomach that perhaps, perhaps what they've heard is true. And so I invite those people today, even right where they sit, even silently in their seats, to just simply say, Jesus, I believe. I know I am a sinner who is separated from you. I have gone my own way. But today, I return to you. I turn away from myself and my sin, and I ask you to save me. I believe you lived, died, and rose again. And I want new life in Christ. Lord, for anyone who has confessed Jesus with their mouth, who has turned from their sin, you declare they could be saved today. And so we rejoice with those who have prayed that prayer and made that decision this morning. I pray now as we respond to you through communion and through singing, that you would be honored and glorified, that you would fill us all with a sense of joy in your presence the risen Christ is with us, that you are here in this place, that we would walk out of these doors with confidence that Jesus is alive, and so our hope is alive. Be honored and glorified in this time, we pray in the beautiful name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.